Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, before I get started, uh, I'd like to say a prayer. Um, God, thank you so much for this opportunity to share your message. I pray that my words are only your words and that I remain a conduit of your love. Please help me set aside everything I think I know about the steps, me, my fellows, and especially about you, so that I may have a new experience and an open mind. All right. So I, I, lately I've done a lot of shares about the tools that I use that have helped me stay sober and, and remain happy. Today I just want to talk a little bit more about my story and how I ended up here in SA and um, how I took the long way to get here. <laughs> so that's kind of what the topic is. Um, about. Um, so my story started before I was born. Um, my parents were only 16 and my mom was sent to a women's group home. Um, terrible, terrible group home. I learned later in life, but um, I was going to be put up for adoption as soon as I was born. And my dad wouldn't have that. So he broke into the group home and kidnapped us and um, took us Actually, I honestly don't remember where we lived. I, I vaguely remember like a house with a carport. But anyway, the, the point is um, he kidnapped us, took us there. And then it wasn't much longer after that that he joined the U.S. Marines. And this was during the Vietnam War. And so he did two tours in Vietnam and then um, went AWOL, which I don't know. You may not know if you're not from here. That means absent without leave or he deserted. <laughs> Basically, he said, I can't kill people anymore. And he left and he came back to the States and took my mom and I and we left for Canada. And um, so when we first got there, I, I have very little rec recollection of the places that we lived when I first got there. But my dad was very instrumental in helping other soldiers who were deserting um, to find places to live and get fake IDs and, and that kind of stuff. And so I do remember um, there were always a lot of people uh, going in and out of our house, a lot of soldiers um, going in and out of our house. So, um, you know, uh, so we were basically on the run from the U.S. government at this point. They were, they were trying to find us down in the States. Um, so I'm about four years old um, at this point. We lived all over uh, the province of British Columbia. We lived, I mean, we lived in a truck that my dad had converted into a mobile home <laughs> and, um, you know, a tent for a while. We moved into a, a commune of all cabins. My parents were hippies, um, you know, um, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> That was the atmosphere in my house um, a lot. Um, I was really exposed to a lot more sex, drugs, and rock and roll than I should have been at that age. Um, I, I consider that child abuse at this point. Um, by the time I was like seven or eight, I was already smoking marijuana and hash with my dad. Um, he would throw me bags of weed and I would roll it up into joints for him and then we would smoke it. Um, again, there was always more, you know, a lot of people going in and out of the house. Um, and so I was, um, really, and it was the sixties. So there was a lot of sex and stuff going on in my household. And so that's when I really think my voyeurism started. Um, I would watch my parents having sex with other people. Um, and when guys would come to the house, I would mimic my mom's behavior, um, to, um, seduce the men. And even though I was young, there were a couple that took me up on it. So, um, uh, and sometimes they would more than one time. So anyway, my dad at this point managed a band that, um, lived in the house we were at in Canada. 
And um, I started fantasizing about being with them, about being with a rock star. And this is when my fantasy started taking off. Um, I, especially one of them I was particularly interested in. And um, one night he actually came uh, into my bed. And so I thought, wow, what a, what a, uh, a victory. <laughs> um, you know, I seduced him and here he was like, I don't know, I don't know how old he was, my parents' age, but, you know, I was only like eight years old. So um, eventually we ended up moving into uh, a cabin on a small island up in, in Canada in the San Juans, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Again, we were still on the run at this point. Um, and this is when at this place, I think the parties kind of slowed down. Uh, a little bit, but there were still always people in and out. Um, but my uncle, um, who was living in the States with my grandparents, obviously, um, was sent up to Canada to live with us because he was a delinquent. And I guess my grandparents didn't want to handle him. So he was sent up to live with us and almost immediately started sexually abusing me. Um, and that went on for about two years. Everybody, you know, in the in the lineage of my family, there's a lot of alcoholism and sex abuse. And so, um, it, you know, the fact that he was in that frame of mind, you know, now that I have learned to forgive, the fact that he was in that frame of mind doesn't surprise me at all. Um, uh, and then, you know, I didn't really remember a lot of the things that he did um, until I was in therapy. And, you know, I remember being on the beach and just, pretending I was asleep, like just closing my eyes and pretending I was asleep until it was over. Um, I think he thought I liked, <laughs> I liked it. Um, so we lived there, I think the longest out of anywhere we lived. Um, I actually went to school and had friends at school. Um, I really was close to my teacher. Um, I think just because I don't know. She didn't neglect me. <laughs> she didn't neglect me. You know, she was there for me and took care of me. And um, so, you know, I was actually starting to feel, um, you know, at, at a place where I was home and um, no electricity, no running water. Um, it was basically, you know, we hunted for our food. Um yeah, so that's kind of how I, I lived most of my, uh, I guess, not early, early years, but before my teens. And um, so anyway, uh, it wasn't too long. Well, it was a couple of years, I guess. Uh, President Carter granted amnesty to all the deserters, which basically meant he said it was okay to come home. And so my dad, once again, packed us up in the truck, all of our stuff our dog in the middle of the night and we left and came back to what my dad said was home. To me, it wasn't home. I had never lived here. I, I left in, in, I left the States when I was two. So, <laughs> so I was a little upset. Plus I, they left. I never got a chance to say goodbye to my teacher or my friends. Um, man, it still almost brings tears to my eyes. <clears throat> It took me a long time to, and I think it's, I'm still working on forgiving, uh, forgiving about that. <clears throat> so anyway, when we got back to the States, I, I was like way out of my element. Like all of a sudden we had electricity and, and in the schools there were like 20 kids in a class and it was just really overwhelming to me. And, um, I, I, I really, um, I started flirting with one of my teachers uh, that was in, I think, in sixth grade, and I honestly thought that he was flirting back with me, but, you know, I, I was probably just in fantasy again. Um, let's see. Uh, and then about by the sixth grade, I had figured out that um, drugs and alcohol and sex were a good way to make friends. <laughs> um my parents didn't care if people came to our house and did drugs and smoked weed and, you know, they didn't care. In fact, my dad used to comment about how my friends <laughs> had better weed than him. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, you know, when I, by the time I got to uh, high school, I was um, dealing drugs, doing drugs, doing cocaine, 
dating older guys um, that were not in school that had cars and homes and, you know, things that I could take, whatever I could take. Um, and I was entitled to it. So um, I was going to take it. I would use these guys constantly um, for money and cars and drugs. I mean, I, I might as well have just been a prostitute, really. Um, so my drinking and my um, drugging and sexing started escalating. My parents were fighting all the time. Um, my dad was overtly abusing me by comparing me to my mom and um, making her jealous of me, um, you know, like I was more special than her, um, making comments about um, my breasts when I was developing um, as a teenager. And um, he was having a lot of flashbacks at this point, and he was also drinking. And so I was really scared living in the home. By the time I was 18, I left. It was all I could do to get out of there fast enough. Um, and, um, I moved in with the guy. I knew he liked me, but I didn't like him. So I, again, I was just using him for a place to stay. In my early twenties, um, I became a bar fly. Uh, I had a lot of people that were always around me. I had a lot of friends, quote friends. Um, but I was still always alone inside, um, thinking, you know, what if they really knew? What if they knew me? What if they found out? Um, so basically, I was, um, you know, and I like to call it an extroverted introvert, kind of a weird phrase, but it, it kind of, for me, explains it. So, and, and I was always in charge. Like anytime I, we went anywhere, I would always tell my friends where we were going and what we were doing. And it was always wherever the most men were. That's where I wanted to be. Um uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, because with all the men in the bars, I would manipulate them. I would use them. I would have them buy drinks. Um, I would flirt with them. I would tease them. I would go out in the parking lot with them. Then I would come back in the bar and do it all over again with another guy. I mean, it was to the point the progression at this point was I honestly didn't think I was doing anything wrong. You know, I was in my 20s and I was single and I grew up with this attitude of entitlement and that all of this is okay. This is, this is the way people live. Um, but obviously in this world, in the world that we came back to, that's not, <laughs> that's not really it. But um, I had surrounded myself with a lot of sick people. So um, it was okay. I even had a really good job and, and bought my own apartment uh, or rented my own apartment. Um, but I was still, I was using my office <laughs> to act out. Uh, and so in my mid-20s, I met my husband at a bar, surprising. Um, and on our first date, we had sex. And my whole goal was to make him think that it was the best thing he's ever had. And that was my, actually, my goal with every person I was with, was I was going to make sure they knew that they wanted me. Whether they could have me or not, I needed to be desired. That was that was a huge part of my addiction was a need to be desired. And I would pretty much do anything um, to get that. Um, yeah, I, I would be driving down the street and see guys in cars and think that guy wants me. <laughs> God, Ego. So anyway, about five years. Um, well, you know, I finally committed to my husband. He, he kind of followed me around for about a year and I finally committed to him, but not without conditions. So I didn't want to give up my quote freedom. Um, and so I ended up manipulating him. Well, first of all, before we were even married, I cheated on him. Um, I ended up manipulating him into being a swinger and allowing people to enter into our life and our marriage bed. Um, and I convinced him that that was his fantasy. Um, it was just my way of acting out with permission. That's basically what it was. Um, and it definitely wasn't freedom. I was in, in complete bondage at this point. There was knots in the ropes. Um, and, um, so eventually he decided that this wasn't his fantasy and he didn't want to do this anymore. And so I went out on my own. There was no way I could stop at this point. So I went 
out in secret and started placing ads um, on websites and chatting and sexting. And with so many guys, I can't even remember how many. Um, I mean, at this point in my life, I'd been with hundreds at least of men. And so this was just, it, it almost is a blur as to how many um, people were in and out of my life at that point. Um, but the tornado, <laughs> that's what I call it. That's when the, the tornado started. And um, I was wrecking lives and things all around me, um, including my children. I had no idea I was so unmanageable. I really thought I had it all under control and that everything I was doing was okay. Like I said, um, in the family I grew up in, it was. I was entitled to take from whoever I could because that was the way we survived. Um, let's see. So anyway, um, at this point, again, I was so wrapped up in ego and lust and um, bondage to self that I, um, I couldn't hardly breathe. I had a knot in my stomach all the time. Um, when we got married, after we were married for a while, he started drinking a lot. And again, this was from, I know it had a lot to do with my acting out because now he doesn't, he doesn't hardly drink at all. Um, but anyway, so he caught me cheating for the fourth time. And that was only the times he caught me. And um, he was leaving. That was it. He was done. And I was scared to death because for, I don't know, 13 years, I was with that man and I depended on him now. And, you know, even though I always had one foot out the door in case the real guy came along, um, he was, you know, I had been with him the longest and he had a stable family. I mean, there was a lot of reasons um, other than being in love with him while I, you know, why I stayed. But um, anyway, at this point, I found SA through a TV show about sex addiction. And when I was watching the show, it hit me that this would be a way to keep my husband. <laughs> so if I'm sick, he couldn't really leave me. You know, I mean, that would be terrible if he left me when I'm sick. <laughs> so um I proceeded to go to uh, SA probably for a couple months before I realized that, whoa, I'm here to save my life. If my marriage survives, that's a bonus. You know, I have to, I have to work this program like my life depends on it because it does. If I'm not, I mean, if I'm dead, I can't be married anyway. <laughs> so, and this, this addiction, I was on my way to being dead. I was meeting up with very dangerous, strange people in dark, dangerous places. Um, and I, I am very shocked. Actually, I'm not, because today I know that God was there um, protecting me that whole time. That's how I lived. Um, let's see. So I found SA, um, and... After I realized I was there to save my life, I, I um, started working the program in earnest. Um, we bought a house and um, started, you know, like typical American life, the house, the husband, the two kids. But inside, there was still a tornado going on, um, the Wendy tornado. And... Um, I just, I just couldn't stop. I just, I was just to the point where it was, you know, the point of no return. Um, and so anyway, when I started seriously working SA, I got a sponsor. What a concept. Somebody who knows more than me. Um, I began working the steps. And for the first time in my life, I, tr I learned what freedom truly is. Um, and it's, it's not having what I want when I want it. That's not freedom. Freedom is service and humility. Um, there's a whole lot of words I could use to describe freedom. But, um, you know, more importantly, what happened when I found SA is I found my higher power. And um, what a relief. Like, 
I didn't have that faith or trust in anyone. I survived my life on my own will. And wow, look what I did. (laughs) I did such a good job. Um, But I didn't have faith or trust in a higher power. So when my sponsor, like step two, I did a lot of acting as if. Um, there was no spirituality or religion in our household. I mean, it was any spiritual experiences were chemically induced. There were no like real spirituality. So when I experienced that and, and, you know, worked with my higher power, it was just, wow, what a relief. I don't have to be in control anymore. I don't have to run everybody. I don't have to be, I just don't have to be anything except for here today in the present to be with my higher power and do service for my higher power. Um, I know that God has the plan for me because otherwise I wouldn't still be here. And I feel like that plan is a lot of essay service, um, helping people that he helped me and other people have helped me. Five more minutes, Wendy. Mm -hmm. Five minutes left. Five minutes. Okay. I'm done. So, Okay, uh, one just um, to finish up, um, you know, God laid out the plan. I'm a foot soldier. I'm a conduit for his love and grace and mercy. He's freed me for myself, which, um, you know, I'm, I, that was a huge thing for me. I'm a better friend. I'm a better wife. I'm a better mom, daughter, sister. I'm trusted. I'm trustworthy. I have humility, which, by the way, doesn't mean you're funny. Well, I thought that for so long. Um, so anyway, I lived in constant ego, but very insecure. Now I have security through my higher power. Um, so one of the slogans without God, I can't, and without me, he won't. God is everything or he's nothing. Those are two things that I really live by because without my higher power, I I have no life. Um, and now he, he and his love permeate every area of my life instead of the lust. So, So anyway, after constantly running and running and moving and living with people and drugging and drinking and sexing, I found SA, I found my higher power, and now I made the true connection and I'm home. So that's the long way home. (laughs) Uh, I hope I was able to help. I've learned a lot of honesty, courage, faith, trust, service, doing service. Never would have thought I would have been doing that. So I, I just really appreciate everybody listening and being part of my recovery. And, um, yeah, I hope that my experience and strength and hope can at least reach one person today. So thanks for having me, Luke, and everybody being here. Thank you, Naomi Zadia. Uh, thank you so much, Wendy. Uh, it was uh, just uh, very inspiring. Um, and I, I think that what's more inspiring like all your story, it's just, it was so sad, but um, there is a lot of hope that you're here and you're smiling um, and you're dealing with stuff. Like you, you have issues. You, you, you say you're, you're uh, still dealing with um, forgiveness. Uh, so it's just amazing like to lead with the weakness. Um, it's, uh, I, I thought, like uh, old timer, they are perfect, and they finish like everything. It's perfect in their life, <laughs> so it's not like that. And it's I don't know. It's just uh, uh, comfort me. And I want to ask you what helps you uh, feel uh, connect to your higher part during during the day. Okay, um, yeah, that's a good question because it is very important for me to stay connected to my higher power because as soon as I lose that connection, I'm in, in ego, I'm in self, um, and that's a tornado <laughs> waiting to happen. So there are a couple of things that I do. So the first thing, I live on the front range on the Rocky Mountains. So if for some reason, I always pray um, in the morning. I don't always say formal prayers. A lot of times I'll just say, hey, God, thanks for letting me wake up, keep my family and friends safe today. But if for some reason that doesn't happen in the morning, I walk out my door and there's this huge mountain. It's like, oh, hi, God. (laughs) Like, that's God to me. That's, you know, um, so that reminds me also. And I I started doing things like um, setting a timer so that at certain points during the day, 
my timer would go off and I would remember to say, hi, God, I know you're still there. You know, I, I haven't forgotten that you're with me. Um, and then I would, it's funny, I, just weird things. Like if I would come to a light and it would turn red, it would be like, in the beginning, it would be like, oh, my God, I'm in such a hurry. And now it's like, oh, what are you trying to tell me, God? I have a minute. <laughs> you know? So it's just little things like that that um, keep me connected. And it really is anytime I start to feel any kind of disturbance or, or stomach ache or anything, I know that I'm not connected and it's time to reach up, reach up to God. I hope that helps. Alicia? Go ahead, Alicia. Thanks. Um, hi, it's Alicia here. Thank you so much, Wendy. Um, I really appreciated uh, the, just the image of a tornado. I feel like that's what I've used, tornado Alicia, for my own um, addiction. So I really resonated with that uh, part of your share. And I just, uh, I loved that you found Essay through the um, through a TV show. It's just amazing. Um, and came into the rooms and uh, I don't know, it just, as you were sharing, I just felt like, wow, God just pulled her out, put her in essay and saved her life. And I don't know, I just feel really, um, excited and encouraged by your story. And, um, I, I don't have any questions. I just wanted to say that and say, I'm happy to be on the journey. Um, yeah. Toward happy destiny, trudging the road of happy destiny with you. So that's all. Luke, my name's Dana. Hi, Dana. Go ahead, please. I have a question for Wendy. Um, I first, appreciate your sharing. It took a lot of courage, and uh, I appreciate that. Uh, I'm wondering if there was some point in your sobriety where you became there were kind of a not necessarily an aha moment, but some point where you realized my fantasy life that I've been living in for so long has really hurt me my whole life and I need to really not really avoid being in fantasy at all costs. Did that happen to you? I mean, it's kind of happened to me and I'm not just curious and how far along were you? I'm, so please share your experience straight and open. Sure. Sure. Uh, thanks for the question, Dana. Um, yes. At some point I did um, have that aha moment. Um, and it didn't happen overnight. Really happened um, when I, after I lost my sobriety after a year, and I really seriously started working the steps. It was step one when I realized how much trouble I was in, um, how much trouble I had caused. And then step four is where I realized how much fantasy you know I had been indulged in, um, even more so than in step one. So my, I guess my answer would be when I started earnestly working the steps is when I had that spiritual awakening, that spiritual experience. Um, and that was the only thing that the higher, the surrendering to a higher power and working the steps. It's the only thing that worked. <laughs> Thank you, Wendy. Hello for everybody. It's Go me. Ahead, Nancy. Yeah, thank you so much, Wendy. I really appreciated your story. Um, it's amazing. I, I love the what I heard a little bit ago about just reaching down and snatching someone up out of a mire. Um, I really can relate to this is normal. I mean, not even knowing that anything was different. And in my life, it was a different way but not having a clue. That's, that's normal. And even now, I've been in this program so gratefully for 27 years. There's still times when I don't know this isn't normal. Um, what a path. I guess um, what, what catches me off guard is you know, again, these little bits of discovery, not just progressive victory over lust, but progressive victory over my survival mechanisms. Um, and I'm hearing a lot of that in you. Um, how do you deal with that? Anyway, I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> you mean as far as surrendering um, everything, all of my character defects, all of my whole life? How do I deal with it? 
No, it's more the, um, like for me, it's more and more discovery and like total shock that, oh my gosh, like people, other people aren't like this, like it's not normal, whatever yeah. it is that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I used to actually compare myself on the, I used to say to people, have you not watched the animal channel? They're not monogamous and they're mammals. They're not meant to be monogamous. So yeah, I really had no concept of what was normal. And so now what I do is I rely on my higher power. If I'm in a situation that I don't understand or if I think it's okay, it's probably completely the opposite of what's okay in my mind. And so a lot of times I will talk and I just talk to my higher power. I'll just be like, I don't know what to do. Is this normal? Is this not normal? Um, what's the message here? What are you trying to tell me? And then I have to sit and listen <laughs> for what the message is. And that's hard too. But um, the, the, the new discoveries of things are for me at this point in my recovery. In the beginning, they were not. But at this point, it's just another uh, door to the new life. It's another door that opens. I don't see it as a, um, a negative anymore. Um, it's a door that's opening and now I can continue to walk through, you know, God's heavenly, heavenly gates. <laughs> yeah, it, it does help, uh, especially the part about when you find yourself in a situation that you have no clue what's going on. I mean, I'll say like, what's happening? And what's going on? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know what to do. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your share. Thank you. You're welcome, Nancy. Good to see you, by the way. Um, Jared, can I ask you a question? Thank, ahead, you for sharing one. Thank you for sharing, Wendy. I loved it. Is, is there a question that you wish you were asked but never seem to get asked? Is there a question? I'm sorry, what was that? Um, is there a question you would like to have asked of you but you never get asked? Is there a question you would love to have asked someone uh, to ask you? Um, I, I've never really thought about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's fine. Um, okay. That's fine. All right. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I haven't really thought about that. I mean, I guess if I were to share a message with anybody, I would want to talk about um, my connection with my higher power and how that's helped me. So that would okay, be, thanks. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Sure. Hi, Wendy. This is Luke. Um, Thank you for your story. We haven't met each other yet, so I got a lot out of it, a lot of identification also. One of the things also you said, like, you had a lot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And then I think of some other people who, who grew up in a very repressive environment. And some people who, who grew up in a very repressive environment, they say, oh, this is because we grew up in a very repressive environment that we became sexaholics. But then you have people like you who also became sexaholics. Right. And then I'm somewhere in the middle and I also became a sexaholic. So it doesn't matter in which culture you grow up, you grew up. Yeah. Every culture gets sexaholics. It's a disease. Like every culture gets alcoholics or people with diabetes. So that's one thing I get out of it. And another thing is I also... I can identify that I also had all my values. I had them upside down. And I thought that lusting was normal. And that people, that normal people, they were boring. And, and, and missing out on the fun and on the real life. And I really thought that. I really thought that. So I'm, I'm so grateful for recovery. For com well, I got the gift of despair. It was that or suicide or getting into prison. But then once in sobriety and getting in recovery, I don't want to go back anymore today because today I see that this is the real life. Like you said, the real life, the real freedom is service and humility. And it's not always an easy path. It's a long way home also. Yeah, the long way to the eternal home. But it's the, it's the real life. And I... I, I most of the days, I really love that life. I'm attracted to that life, so I don't want to go back. Thank you. Oh, one question. Did you manage to save your marriage, and how is it today? Oh, yeah. Um, 
actually some miracles have happened recently. Uh, we are still together. Um, that's a miracle all in itself. Just, I mean, obviously God brought that man into my life um, for a reason. And um, he, uh, I, I, I would have left me. <laughs> I don't know why it's still with me, but, um, the, you know, we, we've been through a lot. We've, we've both been through infidelity. Um, we've worked through a lot of stuff. And I think that the main thing that saved my marriage today is just making sure my side of the street is clean. Um, you know, I don't take his inventory. Well, I try, I try not to take his inventory. And when I am, I'm pretty much abruptly reminded that I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> And um, a, a miracle happened the other day. He's never been involved in my recovery, never been in SA or SNON or anything like that. Um, he just knows that I'm happier and I'm in, in this world with him in the present moment. Um, but uh, he came to me the other day and told me that he found a men's group. And it's when he was telling me about it, it's, it's loosely based on SNON. And um, I had no idea that he was doing this. And at first I panicked, like, oh, no, he's going to find out everything of what I am. And <laughs> he can't do this. And then somebody in the program said, what a miracle. And I sat down and thought about it. What a miracle. He's finally taking care of himself and opening up to me about all this pain that he's carried for all this time that I just, I guess, didn't know about. I didn't recognize. He, he never shared it with me. So uh, that's a miracle. Um, I think that that has a lot to do with the fact that I've continued on the program and, and he sees what I have and um, wants it. And even if it's not Essanon, it's a way for him to take care of himself. So, yeah, our marriage is definitely, we've only been married as far as I'm concerned for, <laughs> for nine years, even though technically it's 23. But, yeah, it, it's still here and, and thriving. And our children are thriving. And it was not the case nine years ago. So... Yes, thank you for asking. Thank you. <clears throat> Wendy, this is uh, Susie Sexaholic. Thank you very much for your sharing. I wonder if you would say more about some of the things that really helped you in early recovery to stay with the program and to keep, uh, keep going, working on your recovery. Were there some things that especially were helpful to you? Uh... Um, I guess just the promise of a new life. Um, I had to, I had to be teachable and I had to remain teachable. So um, I guess humility helped me a lot being humble and, and, you know, realizing that I don't know everything um, about other people or me or God. Um, and I guess, um, a lot of recovery work, um, getting a sponsor, reading the literature. Um, I go to meetings. I still go to meetings every day, sometimes two a day. just depends on the day. Um, but I think just the acting as if was big for me. So acting as if I was teachable, acting as if I believed in a God. And eventually... Like it says, those those things just became normal, natural habit for me. But in the beginning, I had to do a lot of acting as if and and touching base with the sponsor and other people to keep me right sized. <laughs> and in reality, I don't know if that helps. Thank you, Andy. Hey, Luke. This is us, Stan, Alaska. Go ahead, Stan. Uh, Wendy, thanks for your share. Um, it's really amazing. I just, you know, hearing that share, I could just hear little Wendy there um, talking. Uh, you experienced strength and hope. And uh, it was just, I was actually feeling some empathy and compassion. And um, it just felt great hearing your story. And, um, you know, I, I just, I knew when I heard that you were going to be sharing on today's call, I was like, oh man, Wendy. It's like, yes, I remember her on some of my essay phone meetings when she'd be there. And it was just always just so great to hear experience strength and hope. And, um, yeah, I, I'm just I'm just very thankful that um, you are here on this uh, Barcelona call, and uh, I've been led here, and that God has been working in my life to um, be associated with people um, to help me in my recovery. Because uh, um, I, I just really like your share about how when you came into the program, because um, I had a similar experience where I came in to try and save my marriage, 
And thankfully, after a month, God revealed that you're here to save your life, Stan. And um, it has not been uh, perfect. Uh, it's been up and down. Um, and um, But I just really appreciate your share. And just, uh, I guess, um, you know, f- I guess a question I would ask uh, about, you know, your spouse. Um, for me, one of my problems is, is um, not liking... Uh, what my spouse does or says in a sense, but uh, could you explain as far as um, when sharing, expressing feelings, or if, if your, if your husband says something you don't agree with, how do you handle that um, with them and, and with yourself through recovery? Oh, thank you. Thanks for that question. Yeah. And um, I wish I could take credit for all the things I share. That's God's words, <laughs> by the way, not mine. Um, but um, if, so with my spouse, acceptance is something that I've had to learn because he is different than me. He has different things that make him happy. Um, and if we're talking about feelings or if he does something that is uncomfortable for me, I will tell him right then. I mean, if it's possible. I try my best not to talk about this stuff in front of our children, but I typically will say something right then. And usually what happens is, it comes back to something that I've said or done that has, you know, caused him hurt, which caused the problem. I mean, so I guess I have to, um, it's just honest, open communication and it's scary. It's not easy. It's really scary sometimes, but we have learned it's, it's a learning experience and we have learned each time we talk, we learn more about how to do it. And now, especially with him being in that program, um, we're able to really discern what is more important. What's, is it really that important, I guess? So things like, is it really that important that he squishes the toothpaste tube and it really pisses me off <laughs> the way he does? You know what I mean? So I just have to pick and choose what's really important because what's really important is that God put that man in my life. So anyway, I don't know if I answered your question. That's good. Thanks, Wendy. Appreciate it. Thanks for your share. Yeah, good, good to see you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks for the meeting, Luke. Uh, um, love what you shared. I just... Um, that's the kind of God I, I love. That's the kind of God I like to hear about. I, I just love the way you, you 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 come in totally for the wrong reasons, and God made it right. And um, I just love that. Really touched by that, and also really touched by when you said that you never you didn't have a chance to say goodbye to your teacher in school because uh, your dad uh, made you all leave in the middle of the night and it was uh, just very moving just brought me to tears there um yeah thank you for your share and, and thanks again luke for the meeting um i don't do a lot of sa meetings i only got two a week at the moment but um it does me for the time being because like you shared, Wendy, God's God's with me and he's with me everywhere. Um, and this evening I had to leave my workplace and I had to drive along the coast road by the beach, which is okay for some people, but it's not really okay for Steve. But um, it was okay uh, because it was the quickest route to get home so I could come to this meeting. And, uh, you know, it was it was okay. God said, just drive. It's okay. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. If you see something, it's, a, it's not the end of the world. And I'm, and I'm okay now, and I'm sober, and I'm feeling sober, and I'm feeling clean, and I'm, I'm, I'm no longer in love with lust, and I'm no longer in love with drugs and alcohol either. So, uh, you know. I'm 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 not where I want to be, but I'm not where I was, and that's 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 good. Oh, thank you. Sorry about the time. Thanks for sharing. Yes, thank you. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, thank you, Wendy. Hi, this is Dennis. Can I share or ask a question? Go ahead, Dennis. Okay, thank you. Well, thank you, sister. I, um, you've been a big help. 
in my recovery. I know the last three and a half years that we've got to uh, have a lot of fun on the noon group. And what you've helped me a lot with is modeling emotional sobriety because I've been disturbed a few times and watched how you've handled those situations. And so I've really got a lot from you. So can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the things you do or that you've learned about emotional sobriety? And thank you, Wendy. Thanks, Dennis. Good to see you, brother. Um, emotional sobriety. I didn't even know I modeled that. <laughs> um, I think, <laughs> um, I guess if I were to talk about emotional sobriety, the thing that has really um, helped me in that area is, again, I just keep going back to my higher power. I just, I just, I, I have humility in front of my higher power. Um, I know that I'm not always right. I can listen to other people and their side. I may not always agree with it, but I don't have to sit there and argue with them anymore because that's their opinion. I have my opinion. Um, I still do sometimes, by the way, <laughs> to catch myself, but... I mean, as far as emotional sobriety, again, it's, if I start to feel a little pit in my stomach or people around me are sniffing at me or whatever the disturbance is, I know that it's within me. That's the only thing I can change. And that is um, what brings me emotional sobriety. It, it, I have to change with my attitude, my change of attitude to um, God and others. I believe that is what really helps with that. Thank you, sister. Appreciate you. This is Dan, sexaholic, Barcelona. Hi, Dan. Um, yeah, there were a lot of things identified with. Maybe we can talk after the virtual coffee. But one thing I was curious about is your process of um, acquiring your higher power. You, you spoke of the mountains, and that meant a lot to me because nature is a big uh, foundation for me. Um, but it seems like for some people, it's a burning bush. You know, but it hasn't been that way for me. In fact, I feel like I'm still very much in the process. I've been in SA just a little over two years, and I'm still very much a work in progress. So what was, what was your experience? Uh, well, um, I'm still a work in progress as well, and I think that helps. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm never going to be perfect. My higher power is the only thing that's perfect. But the way that I, I think the way that I came to believe, I guess, if you will, again, I did a lot of acting as if, but I also started to notice little miracles happening. Um, when I would stop, when I would stop practicing um, the behaviors that were in the, of getting in the way of God, I would start to notice little miracles happening. Little things like I have no gas money. I've got till the end of the week, till payday. What am I going to do? And then I put on my bathroom and there's a $20 bill in the pocket. <laughs> like, you know, I can't explain that. <laughs> I just have no explanation. So a lot of little things like that happened where it developed my faith. And like you said, my faith is still growing, still developing. And with each um, uh, opportunity, I guess, a trial, I have an opportunity to grow even closer to my God. So I use um, the despair and um, the character defects as an opportunity to go to him. And so that really helped a lot. But I did a lot of acting as if in the beginning. So my, my, my uh, sobriety, my experience was not a bolt of lightning either. So, so yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Wendy. I appreciate that. Thanks, Dan. I've just got one look, if I can. Go ahead, Francis. Hi, Wendy. Thanks for your share. It's absolutely a lot of identification. Um, yesterday, in couple of weeks ago, or the last couple of weeks, I've been going through um, a psyche evaluation, and uh, one of the things that's come up to rile me a bit is when they've been questioning the SA program, the psychologists have completely, really poo-pooed it. And... Uh, they don't believe me when I said, well, it's gone from compulsive masturbation to zero because that's the program. And they said, well, have you done it? And I said, well, I've surrendered it to God and he's done it. And they're just laughing, really. They just don't understand it. I'm just wondering from your experience or your life story, have you ever had anything similar where people on the outside just don't get it? And how do you handle that sort of pressure? Well, 
Um, well, first of all, any therapist that I went to, um, I never really gave them a chance because I never really was completely honest. I mean, the one that I did go to that um, mentioned, wow, you might be a sex addict, I never went back to that person again. <laughs> that was enough of that. But um, I think for me, it depends on who I'm talking to, but if it's somebody like a therapist, I would probably make mention that I appreciate that you don't understand this, um, but it's working for me. And and maybe I could share something, you know, the book or something that would give you an idea of how this works for me. And if they are not open to it, if they don't want to work around that, find another therapist, you know, or just put more time into SA. You know, I very rarely, I don't go to a therapist anymore. I mean, I wasted thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. But um, anyway, yeah, so I, I firmly believe that SA is my therapist first. And then if I um, actually go to a therapist, I want to make sure they understand my addiction at least. So. That's great. Thanks, Wendy. Mm -hmm. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.